Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? Good, Bruce. You can shave off the playoff beard now, Bruce. Oh, yeah. The voters are out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I you got shaved it off about a month before the playoffs, and it grew back. It's still growing. Uh-huh. It, uh, it worked. It well, worked. For a little while. <laughs> Looks like the, um, yeah, I see Cat Stevens is there. Yes. <clears throat> it's interesting, Bruce. The um, the Stanley Cup Finals are two games into it at this point as we do this podcast today, and the Avs are kicking the crap out of the Lightning. It puts a slightly different spin so far, at least, on the Oilers' loss to the Avs. If the Avs are this dominant, um, it's, it's, it's kind of encouraging. It's kind of not. It's encouraging in the in the sense that, <clears throat> if the owners do get by the abs, well, that's a pretty big accomplishment, but it's discouraging in the fact that this is going to be one heck of a hard team to get past in the next Ooh. few years. And um, the owners are going to be, have to be significantly improved in order to do it. So um, it's kind of sobering, but it's also exciting to see uh, Ta- Colorado do to Tampa what they did to the Oilers and then some. Yeah, they're just smoking them. I mean, remember how bad game two was when the Oilers lost four nothing in uh, Denver. Yeah, and it looked like I mean they couldn't penetrate at all. They got you know they got like two high danger shots or something you know in the whole game, and uh, uh, I think somebody calculated actually zero inner slot shots. Of course, everybody does it a little differently. Yeah, uh, and we had very low totals ourselves. Well, geez, Tampa couldn't get a sniff on Saturday, and even with uh, occasional bits of all-world goaltending from Andrei Vasilevsky, who who saved what looked like sure goals on two or three occasions, uh, they pumped seven past him, and they made the defending Stanley Cup champs look like chumps. Like that Here's was a, a real blowout in every sense of the, of the word. Colorado just dominated them for 60 minutes, was my take. Here's a mind-blowing stat for you, Bruce. In the regular season at even strength, in terms of points per 60, mm-hmm. the Avs had three out of the top four defensemen in the NHL. Yeah. Frack. Makar, one point, uh, <laughs> two points per 60. Wow. Taves, two points per 60. And, Bo- and Byram, 1.8 points per 60. Wow. The only uh, person who... Crapped into the third place spot was Darn Carlson. Oh God, darn well, it! Two points per sixty for a defenseman is off the charts. Yeah, and uh, Taves and McCarr, I think, are unquestionably the best pair in the league. Whoever you think might be the best defenseman, and many would say McCarr at this point. But uh, all those uh, top level defensemen, there's uh, not many of them that have a def- uh, partner the caliber of Devin Taves that uh, was snapped up from New York Islanders in a very clever bit of business by Joe Sackick, who's had a few very clever bits of business, and you can see them on the ice uh, winning games for his avalanche. And uh, Devin Taves is such a player. And, uh, yeah, he, he made one mistake in the Oilers series, but I think only one on the Nuge breakaway goal in uh, game four. 
and otherwise a man he great defensively great in transition really good in the offensive zone yeah uh, just a perfect partner for and as for Byram, you know, one thing that happened to Colorado in this in this playoffs was I lost Samuel Gerard in the St. Louis series, <clears throat> pairing defenseman, and that was a tough break for them. But at the same time, I was looking at it and thinking, you know, Gerard is the one guy I thought maybe was defensively a little bit vulnerable on uh, Colorado, and of course we never saw him first nor last in in uh, our series with this broken sternum. He really got drilled, uh, but. Uh, what that meant was they promoted Bowen Byram into a higher calling, and he's been fantastic. And it's like, you know, what are you going to do? you got three defensemen that mm. can all skate like the wind. You know, they all play strong positionally. They're good with their sticks. And when they get the puck, it's it or they or both are gone the other way. What a boneheaded move by the Islanders. I remember when that trade was made thinking, oh, geez, what a good deal for Colorado. Like, to get this solid mm-hmm. hockey player, and he's only gotten better. And he's got Bruce, to make matters worse, he's got two more years left now at four point mm-hmm. one million. Yeah, that's a great contract. <clears throat> oh, did he have and that? They, I wonder, did he have that contract they, when he got traded? They got him for um, two a decent prospect uh, who was a second round pick and another future second round pick. So basically, two seconds. So. Yeah, a bitter Oilers fan could say they got him for the same price Oilers paid for Andreas Athanasiu, and uh, you know they would not be least, incorrect. You could at least start a discussion, if not a flat-out argument, on that basis alone, if you cared to. I just find it depressing. Man, would he solve a lot of problems for us, Devin Taves? Oh, oh. man. <laughs> yeah, as he has done in uh, in. Uh, uh, in Colorado. Just trying to see where. Yeah, I'm looking up his current contract too as we speak. Caves two more years at four point one million. It's a signing it, he signed in Colorado. <clears throat> okay, so they traded and it was a sign and a trade yeah, and sign. I think he was a. Uh, <clears throat> uh, was he RFA at that point? He must have been. Yeah, uh, he would have been 26 at that time, and so and, and New York knew they couldn't afford him because they'd, you know, they'd blown their wad on Leo Komarov and Cal Clutterbuck, Matt Martin and uh, uh, Casey Sizikis and guys like that. So they were uptight to the cap, so Boy, they John. wound up moving him, and four times 4.1 Colorado signed him for, and man, but. Uh, this is the thing. Joe Sackick at that time had two things. He had uh, he had uh, assets to deal in terms of extra draft choices and prospects, and he had cap space in which to take on somebody else's issue. And the orders generally are shy on one or both. They're always down draft picks, and they never have any cap space. So they're not in really good shape to make trades like that. Well, last summer they picked up Duncan Keith, Bruce, for not a dissimilar mm-hmm. price. Uh, yeah, really? Let's not yeah. get into that. <laughs> oh, we actually are going to get into it today. Oh, yeah, so okay. um, <clears throat> today is our um, we're starting our keep, hold or fold series where we go through um, various Edmonton Oilers players and we judge should the Oilers keep them, should they hold, which is means should they maybe think about moving them, see what comes up this summer, or should they fold, which would mean trading him or buying him out. 
keep, hold, or fold. And we're going to look at three players today, Mike Smith, Tyson Berry, and Duncan Keith in uh, today's keep, hold, or fold. Actually, Bruce, we will start with Duncan Keith. So um, there's, just as a preamble, there's some talk that he may retire. Mark Spector puts it at 85-15. I think Bob Stoffer puts it at 70-30 that he'll stay. <clears throat> Speck at 85-15 that he'll stay. There's a, a a deadline of some sorts. I mean, it's really a request by Oilers GM Ken Holland from to uh, Smith and Keith to make it known by July 1st what their intentions are. Um, Duncan Keith has a contract which has a five and a half million dollar cap hit, but he gets paid one point five million dollars in salary this year. It's the final year of his deal. So, Bruce, Duncan Keith, keep, hold, or fold? Yeah, uh, I think I think their their position is almost by definition. Uh, hold. Um, they they have to wait out and see what decision he makes. And now I'm assuming that the Spectre 85-15 that you cited was 85 that he returns and 15 that he retires and not the other way around. And I, I think there's a very strong chance that he's uh, uh, he will come back. And to me, I mean, the commitment's been made, David. How do you move on from this guy? Right, you're going to trade him somewhere else. He has to be traded here, and even then, it took a sweetener to get him here somehow. And I don't see where uh, the Oilers would be able to move on from him. I guess you could. There are dumping grounds, cough Arizona, cough for contracts that nobody else wants. Uh, but uh, I, I just don't see it. I, I think Ken Holland is. He's still happy. He got the guy, and he wants to keep him for. So the year, and it wouldn't shock me if he signed again with Edmonton after that, although presumably at a way lower price. Presumably. Yeah, if his cap hit was uh, $1.5 million this year, I don't think too many people would be complaining. But mm -hmm. that's a very steep cap hit for um, um, a second-pairing defenseman, still, who's still, you know, top four, played in the top four. He, um, you know, by by our reckoning, Bruce, looking at his contributions to grade a shots for and his mistakes on grade a shots against he started out the year in a bit of a train wreck especially on defense he was just leaking uh grade a chances against at the start of the year often making positional errors uh getting beat to the outside getting beat out of the corner <clears throat> he he um he got better as the year went along he was he always showed some proficiency, quite a bit of proficiency actually in moving the puck this season. He was sharp with the puck from word go. And I think that also got a little better. He was he was making good plays with the puck all along. And rarely uh you know, he was that was a good moment. In any good moment in any game, Duncan Keith's got the puck on his stick. Something okay to good is gonna happen, generally speaking. Defensively though, that was not the case. It got better as the year went on, Bruce. But it didn't ever get good or great. It got better. It got okay. And okay against top four competition isn't bad. Um, now, there's someone who would argue that he really didn't have top four competition as the year went on, that Darnell Nurse and Cozy Cece had the line 
share of the toughest competition. So he got a break, and that might explain why his defensive – he stopped making so many mistakes on defense, is he got a little bit of break in terms of facing the toughest competition. Because it's one thing to face the Nathan McKinnons of the NHL, and it's another thing to face the – you know, the JT Comfers, you know, who's a good player. But Nathan McKinnon, if you don't have to face him like Nurse and CeCe always did, it's going to be a lot easier to get through a game with a clean sheet, not making any mistakes on on a grade A shot against. Very mm-hmm. difficult for Nurse and CeCe to do so, but easier for everybody else if uh, if they're not facing McKinnon and Ranton and Landis Gog and players like that. So anyway, Bruce, in the playoffs, I thought he was actually good for two. He, he got... He he was pretty good for two rounds. I thought he was really good against Calgary. And then, like the whole team, he kind of fell apart against the Avs. He, he, there was some bad moments in every series, of course, but against the Avs, he was part of a weak uh, defensive effort, weak offensive effort. And part of an obvious and glaring difference between the Avs and the Oilers in that the Avs' defense were spectacular in terms of moving the puck. They were like Duncan Keith 10 years ago. They had two or three players like him. Just great uh, mobility, moving the puck. And um, it was a problem for the Oilers. So, I, I mean, I the Oilers are in, I guess, semi-hold. But I'm like you. Mm-hmm. I don't see well, – I, I don't – did you, you wait in, I think. I don't see Keith retiring. I, I, I think he's going to come back. He's a competitive guy. He's going to come back. He's going to be okay. He got better as he got as he got familiar with his new teammates and his new team. I think he's going to be okay next year, probably in a top four role. He's going to be okay. But okay, as we saw to, to beat the Avs, no way, no way. Okay, yeah. okay isn't going to be good enough. They're going to need um, Philip Broberry or Dmitry Sam, Samarukov or someone else to step up into the top four eventually and be a better player than Duncan Keith if they're going to beat the Avs. I don't know if that's going to happen next year with Philip Broberry. Um, it's, that's, a, that's a tall order yep. um, for, him, for him to achieve. He doesn't have you know, that lightning quickness and high skill level of a Bowen Byram. He has a package of assets which are really appealing and which could round into, an, I think, an, an, an excellent top four D-man. But I think it's going to take some time. So really the keep hold or full question with Keith in the end is, where does he play in the lineup? Because I think he's yeah. back next year. I think whatever we want, mm-hmm. he, he, they're keeping him. So um, the question is, is he top four by the end of the year or is he bottom pairing by the end of the year? And if, And hopefully he's bottom pairing, but it's because some other player, Philip Broberry or, or Brett Kulak, has stepped up and is doing a lot better than doing significantly better than he did last season. That's what the Oilers need if they're going to beat the Avs. Yeah, well, Keith, you know, I mean, his his uh, his performance. If if you look at uh, uh, the underlying uh, numbers that I know everybody loves, uh, you know, I sometimes cite plus minus because that's the quick and dirty version. But the better one is five on five goals for and against. And Keith this year was 52-4-38 against, so about a, almost 58% goal share, pretty good. And uh, much of that came uh, in the second half when he was uh, teamed up with Evan Bouchard and they had their you know, toughness of competition dialed back because of the all-in uh, 
Narcissi arrangement that uh, Woodcroft and Manson went for. Um, but uh, with Keith on the ice, the Oilers, you know, outscored the other team by a fair margin. Uh, not so in the playoffs, 13-4-17 against, and his, that pairing was the one pairing that did get outscored for Edmonton. Um, one little known fact that uh, caught my eye the other day was uh, Keith went paired with Connor McDavid uh, just over 300 minutes uh, they played together during the season so just over five games worth of uh, five on five ice time and the goals were 24 for Edmonton six for the other guys 24 wow. to 6 80 percent and they, they had great sort of underlying numbers too like Corsi was 60 percent shot share was 59 percent you know not quite 80 percent but clearly that you know the puck was going north and how much of that was, uh, you know, just sort of small sample size where good stuff happened versus how much of that was Duncan Keith getting the puck to uh, Connor McDavid in good places, or for that matter, Evan Bouchard getting the puck to Connor McDavid in good places. Um, the results were pretty outstanding in the regular season. In the playoffs, they were 7-4, seven, 7 against, so there's not much to take away from that. But that's just something, looking at this, that, uh, that if I were... Uh, involved in uh, uh, lineup deployment decisions, I would give that a good hard look and try and uh, maybe even do some in-depth film study to see really if that was um, uh, something that was going on between the two of them or the three of them or, or what have you, you know, that pairing and McDavid's line or whether it was just a matter of the goalies made a few great saves and, uh, you know, they got a couple of cheap ones on the other end, and then McDavid doing McDavid things, which is going to float all boats. Well, my, my um, memory, Bruce, well, what I was hoping to see in the playoffs is Bouchard and Keith out there with McDavid's line, mm -hmm. because I always felt that that, that that was the best combination, that those guys actually were looking for McDavid and able to hit him mm -hmm. uh, with passes. Both Keith and Bouchard are excellent yep. passers to the puck. Yes, and I'm I'm not surprised to hear that number, and you know I think you do have to, would have to do video you know closer video review and think about it a little bit more. But from memory, um, that's what I saw was two players who can really make a pass and another guy who can obviously take a pass at high speed, and that combination really worked. Darnell Nurse has a tendency to hold the puck and skate with the puck. Um, I don't like him with McDavid. Um, I don't think he's the best bet with McDavid because of that tendency. Um, and CC is a good passer of the puck, but he's not at the level of Bouchard and Keith. So that's what I was always hoping to see, you know, in the playoffs. And we we often did see it, but I think they should almost make a five-man unit with McDavid, those two D-men and uh, two wingers who can play with them. The trick being if you're trying to shelter Bouchard and Keith uh, against uh, uh, competition, putting him with McDavid is not exactly saying, okay, other team, you put out your poor players against this this group. So they they had to do some push and pull there, and I'm not um, I haven't dug deep enough to provide any real insights as to who they tended to be deployed against and that uh, that sort of thing. I just noticed that number just kind of jumped off the page. 80% goal shares on a number you see every day over you know, as significant a sample size as five hours of, uh, of hockey. So in uh, in terms of points per 60, we were talking about how the Colorado Avalanche had three of the top four D-men. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Duncan Keith was in a group of four Oilers defensemen who were just right around one point per 60, which is about half of Kale McCarr's production. To put it in context, Kale McCarr's production being on another freaking planet, uh, Planet McDavid, <laughs> Planet McDavid's McCarr. So CC Nurse, Duncan Keith, and Tyson Berry were all at about one point a game. And um, that's, that's actually really good. That's pretty good for a defenseman. Um, Bouchard was at one point, uh, what's he at? One point, uh, 1.5, 1.6, 1.55. That's really good. That's really good. And Evan Bouchard, so that's why, you know, that's why you want him out there with Connor McDavid because, I mean, when, when McDavid takes the puck around the, the net and comes out the other side, you can also pass back to Bouchard for a great shot, right? Um, and Keith and Bouchard work so well together. And, and I think something in, to be said in Duncan Keith's favor is that pairing really did work well together, I thought. And the reason is Keith, when, when Bouchard was paired with Nurse for a while, it was the same problem. Darnell Nurse um, would hold the puck and shoot it himself. He likes to shoot the puck. He likes to carry the puck. It's the wrong play when you're out there with Evan Bouchard. You should, every chance you get, you should be looking to set up Evan Bouchard for the shot. And, and Keith, to his credit, every chance he got, he did that. I mean, he didn't do it all the time because you got to shoot too, or they're not going to cover you like right. as much as they should. So he, but he was always looking for Bouchard on that shot, and it was it's the right play. He was always looking for Connor McDavid. So I'm not again not surprised to hear they had such good results. Bruce, we tracked also ourselves who made mistakes on goals against and who contributed to goals for. In that regard. Um, Tyson Berry actually was the best defenseman on the team. He wow. he contributed to 20 goals at even strength and made mistakes on 27 against. Now, with defensemen, this is not unusual for them to make many more mistakes against than four because this is like um, they just have limited offensive opportunity. Mm-hmm. But they have all kinds of chances to make major mistakes on goals against because they're in a, the, the ultimate position of defensive responsibility, save for the goaltender. So they're going to make a lot of mistakes on goals again. So you're, you're going to find it's always weighted, almost always weighted to way more or somewhat more goals against. So Barry was 20 and 27. Kulak was 7-4-9 against, which was really close to Barry. Yeah. Bouchard, 32-4-44 against, wow. which which on a rate basis is also very close to Tyson Barry. Cody Cece, 23 and 36, which is the same rate as Bouchard. And then you have Keith. At uh, 16, helped them score 16 goals for it, even strength, and made mistakes on 31 against. And his rate is about half as good as Tyson Berry's rate. And it's the same rate as Darnell Nurse, who was 24 goals for and 44 goals against. Mm-hmm. So Keith and Nurse, in terms of the regular defensemen, were slightly not as good at, at um, on the goals for as, as compared to goals against um, ratio. Tyson Berry being kind of off the charts. Good. Why don't, and why don't we move on to Tyson Berry now? <clears throat> Keep hold or fold on Tyson Berry, Bruce. Where are you at? Uh, all of the above. Uh, <laughs> I think the I think the uh, uh, the general consensus of opinion, if there ever is such a thing in oil country, is that. Uh, he has a uh, he's a decent player 
uh, on an okay contract that has two years to run, uh, but it does take a chunk of the order salary cap at 4.5 million for each of those two years. And that uh, because of the emergence of Evan Bouchard, uh, who played so well at even strength this year, uh, but didn't really get a, a lot of time on the power play because that was Tyson Berry's domain, that he's likely ready to take the next step. And that, in a sense, Tyson Berry's in the way uh, that maybe uh, Tyson Berry's the player to move out to either create cap space or to bring a, a, a player under sort of similar contract terms uh, plus or minus a million dollars, you know, but it's, you know, bring a contract back of a player who solves a problem at another position. And so I, I see that as a reasonable course of action. You know, the fact that I kind of like Tyson Berry and I enjoy watching him play for the most part uh, is immaterial to, you know, what should the team do to maximize their assets. And I think he's one of the best trading chips they have. And, and, uh, uh, especially if it gets to the case where they're trading for a goalie, uh, one way to go about solving that issue is to uh, is to uh, to move him. And, you know, if the right fit with the right opponent comes along, uh, or otherwise to you know trade him in one deal and sign that, and then sign or trade for your goalie in a different transaction. Uh, you know, because they just they don't have a lot of cap room, David, and they got a few players to sign. And not much more than a million dollars per in, on the budget to do that right now, and that's not going to bring you in a number one NHL goalie, or even yeah, any, you know. Bob Stoffer keeps hinting that there's going to be more cap space than people are anticipating, and mm-hmm. I wonder if, and this is pure speculation on my part, I wonder if what he's thinking is Barry's contract will be moved. Or, I mean, what are the other options? I mean, they're not moving Nurse. It's up to Keith whether he comes back or not. They're not moving him. Um, so those are the two huge cap hits there. Mm-hmm. They're not moving Cody Cece. Um, I guess they could, in theory, move Warren Fogle, which would be $2.7 mm-hmm. They could move, in theory, right, Zach uh, Cassian, $3.2 million, or buy him out. Mm-hmm. So that would be like, let's say they move Cassian and Fogel. Well, there's five million. That would be, you know, six million dollars yeah. in cap space that you're not anticipating. Mm-hmm. So maybe mm-hmm. that's what he's talking about. But I'm, I'm wondering if it's not thinking about moving out Barry's four point five million dollars a year for two years. So if that's the consensus, Bruce, about the Oilers, about Tyson Barry, I'm mm-hmm. going to say I like him more than, than the consensus mm-hmm. uh, at this point in his career. Um I think Tyson Berry is a really good NHL hockey player. And um, he, he wasn't that way in his first year in Edmonton. It's funny because he led the league in points, I think, for defensemen mm-hmm. last year. I think he was a much, a, a, I think he was a better player this year. Not much better, mm-hmm. but a better player. Certainly at even strength. He, he came into the year talking about improving his defensive play. And that's what I saw. The year previous, you, you you could count on, you'd need two hands and maybe your toes as well to count the number of times he made really bad pinching decisions at even strength that, that ended up in, um, you know, two on ones, breakaways, three on two rushes against the Oilers. It, it seemed to happen every third or fourth game with Barry where he was making the wrong decision. This bad year, pinch. That bad pinch. 22 bad against pinch. bad pinch. How many times did we code that last That's season? Really painful. And, um, 
we brought it up a number of times on this podcast. This year, very few times, very few times that Tyson Berry make that risky, bad decision. His reads of the game finally were were pretty strong. And when he was put finally in a third pairing role, um, he excelled. He really did at even strength. He was there. He he rated out in terms of creating great A shots and, and defending against them as the best Oilers defenseman in the playoffs. Um, beating out uh, next best was Kulak, his partner, and then CeCe. So he, he um, now they were, again, it's one thing to do that against third-pairing competition. It's another thing against Cody CeCe, or for Cody CeCe to do that against the Nathan McKinnons and Johnny Gaudreau's of the world. Much more difficult job, which is why I rate CeCe by far more valuable than either Kulak or Barry. But Tyson Barry really, really played strong hockey. He moved the puck well. He created um, more, as many grade eight, more grade eight shots than any other D-man at even strength in the playoffs that, other than Evan Bouchard, who's in his own class as a puck mover, both on the power play and even strength. Uh, in the uh, regular season, Tyson Berry was behind uh, in that category, only Bouchard and Darnell Nurse. Um, you know, I criticized Darnell Nurse a little bit here for holding the puck too much and not getting it to McDavid or Bouchard quickly enough. Well, Nurse holds the puck because he's really good with the puck, too. He can make plays, and he did in the regular season. So I'm not. it's not an overall criticism. It's just in terms of him meshing with other players that, that my uh, complaint lies. But I, I do... Already we had some technical difficulties. We're back now, and we're just trying to figure out where we were. And anyway, I'm just, I'll just end up with uh, my Tyson Berry thought is that I think Tyson Berry, <clears throat> I don't like, I wouldn't want to see him moved, but I think he's got a lot more value to another team than he does to the Oilers. I think another team's going to be looking for an offensive defenseman. Um, they're going to be looking for someone to run their power play. They're going to be looking for a right shot defenseman. They're going to be looking for someone who can be solid-ish defensively. I think Tyson Berry can probably play in a top four um, and hold his own at this point if he's in the second pairing on defense, uh, defensively, given the improvements he made this past year. And there's no doubt about it, he's a good puck mover. Um, so other teams are really crying out for that kind of player and someone to run their power play, especially. If they don't have that, that's a team that really could use Tyson Berry. Um the Oilers, of course, have Evan Bouchard in the wings. He's an elite puck mover, best puck mover on the team, and he should be on the top power play. There's just no doubt about it at this point. So um, Tyson Berry has more value in some other city. The Oilers should, should, in today's NHL, you've got to pay attention to that. You've got to move a player if he's got more value um, and maybe significantly more value to another team than he does to your team. So do that. And uh, make the trade, get the cap space, and use the cap space widely, wisely, either on a goalie or um, maybe on a Vander Kane. And and we we had talked about you know maybe they can get a Fogel or Cassian that would be even better, but that might be <laughs> excuse me more far more difficult to do than moving Tyson Berry. So I, I think a trade is probably coming there. I mean, well, yeah, it seems like. Uh... Teams like Seattle, for instance, you know, Seattle's top scoring right shot defenseman last year was, wait for it, Adam Larson. <laughs> so oh, they have, uh, well, they got 20, 25 points. Oh, yeah. Uh, but um, their power play driver supposedly was Vince Dunn, 
who had all of 11 points on the power play all season. I mean, uh, bringing on a you know established guy like Tyson Berry would make uh, sense for a team like that. And there are other teams, you know, where there's a, you know a identified weakness on running the point on the power play, and and Barry, you know, he's proven that skill on three different franchises now. As a, you know, he's good at it, and that has value. So. The downside, of course, you trade Tyson Berry now and give Evan Bouchard that job. And then next year, Evan Bouchard gets 65 points and his contract is up. Well, his contract <laughs> is up. His contract is up. They could sign him this Either summer. Yeah, they could no, sign him to an extension right now, right? Mm-hmm. July July 7th or whatever the day is, yeah. free agency yeah. day. They could mm-hmm. give him a contract ahead of time and try to um, anticipate that. Wouldn't be a bad move. Might be a smart move to sign him to a six-year deal, seven-year deal. Um, at whatever it is, you know, they're not going to have Duncan Keith's cap hit on the books after this year, no matter what. So the money that's going to Keith, the 5.5 million, that's going to go to Evan Bouchard. I mean, that's the way you have to look at it, I think. And if you could, you know, whatever Evan Bouchard will, how many years he'll sign for at 5.5 million, I think that's what the order should do. Just move out. Um, you know, if that's hopefully that'll be seven years, um, sign Bouchard to a long-term deal. I mean, that's risky. As we saw with Clefbaum, you know, it seemed like mm-hmm. a really great idea for a while, and then it stopped being such a great idea after he got hurt. Right. But I don't mind signing players in their early 20s to a long-term deal. It's worked out for the Oilers in the past. It's worked out for many teams, and I think that's that's the way they should go. So, yeah, I'm definitely in the fold camp with Tyson Berry. As much as I like the player and admire the way he's improved the, de- the defensive game, mm-hmm. yeah, I do think it's time to move on. And uh, and and then if you can move on from Barry and Cassian and Fogel, then you've got a lot of cap space to de- to deal with, mm-hmm. and you can solve maybe a couple problems um, on the team in that manner. All right, Bruce, Mike, Smith, keep, hold, or fold. Uh, again, I'm going to say hold. I don't, I don't think you can fold. You know, it's just, I mean, you could buy him out, I guess. And you could save, uh, I think, something like $1.6 million next year and pay out 800000 the following year, which actually a little bit more than you could uh, save by buying out Duncan Keith. Um, but um, uh, I, so I guess that's, a, that's an outside possibility. Uh, I think the hold is what they're doing right now. They're waiting for a decision from him. Is he going to retire? Uh, is he going to get medical advice that says uh, he's not going to be able to continue his NHL career next year, that uh, whatever injury that he was trying to hide throughout 21-22 is chronic and not have to get better, and they can just stick him on uh, long-term injured reserve all season, which at least is, you know, an outcome. Um, and the good news with Smith is that he has no barriers on his contract, no, uh, no, no trade, no movement clauses, any of that sort of thing. So I can see a scenario where if the owners are looking to upgrade in net, that he might be traded uh, in return for another goalie with obviously more being involved in the deal than that. Uh, but I'm thinking of a situation where uh, some team has a, uh, you know, established number one goalie and they have a number two guy who's kind of chomping at the bit trying to get in there and he's either you know not getting the opportunity 
uh, or, you know, he's got a nice big contract and the other team would rather move on from that and maybe they need to fill a need at another position. So, um, uh, as for, for instance, I mean, New York Rangers, uh, I'm not saying these are, this is the team to target because I'm not sure they need, they got Adam Fox, I'm not sure they need Tyson Berry, but they have a goaltending situation where Shesterkin has clearly grabbed the bull by the horns and he's going to be their number one going forward. And their backup goalie, Georgiev, uh, has uh, uh, just finished his uh, his bridge contract. He's an RFA with a you know qualifying offer of 2.7 million or something in that range. And what are they going to do with him? I mean, they can't really, you know, if they resign him, a lot of that's dead cap. They don't need a goalie that's going to play 30 or 40 games. <coughs> They need one that's going to play 15 or 20 games. And so if they can move out from that situation, they're still going to need a backup goalie. That's where I'm going with it. And bringing on a veteran is, you know, is one way to, to resolve that problem for a team that's that's looking to shuffle a little bit of calf space around. So, Georgiev's an interesting player. He's been mm-hmm. in there with the Rangers five seasons, never playing that many games. And his his save percentage has gone 918, 914, 910, 905, 898. I mean, is Stuart um, much worse of a goalie than, than Georgiev? I guess if you trade for Georgiev, then you've got two guys who are okay bets instead of just one guy and Skinner who's an okay bet. Now you've got two guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you have to wonder if the Oilers wouldn't be better off just holding on to Smith and going with Smith Skinner as opposed to Georgiev and Skinner. I mean, I just it's not obvious to me that that's that's the answer. Right. Now, there's other, so, you know, because people talk about Billy Husso, uh, Husso or Husso, whatever his name is. Sorry mm-hmm. for missing it, Billy. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's if you look at his career, he's had I'm just going to find his numbers. He's, he had a really good year this year, but he before did. then, his numbers in the HL were uh, kind of indistinguishable or not as good as Stuart Skinner's numbers. And um, his first year in St. Louis, he played 17 games. He had an 893 mm-hmm. save percentage. This year, he's at 919. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're going to splash yeah. a lot of money at him, it's not obvious to me either that he is going to be the answer in St. Louis. They didn't think so in the playoffs. He had an 890 save percentage and was mm-hmm. and was Third was play. beaten out by um what's the other goalie? Bennington. Bennington. Jordan Bennington. Yeah, I was going to say Craig Bellington, but Jordan Bennington. <laughs> <laughs> Craig Bellington. Um who was a really kind of mediocre goalie in the 19th, mm-hmm. I think with the Devils. Mm-hmm. Uh anyway, um there's not a, you know there's Mark Andre Fleury who in the end had a pretty mediocre save percentage this year. There's not incredibly, you know, Darcy Camper is a pretty good bet if they could get him, but I, I have a feeling Colorado is going to have a find a way to sign that guy. So anyway, there's, there's, we haven't really dug into the goalie options. I, I Mike Smith, um, when he ha- looks like a modicum of health, mm-hmm. he was fantastic this year. He, he just came on and played some great hockey. Could he be like, if, if you were just, if you were confident that Smith could or Skinner could play about 50 games, 55 games, 50 games, then you'd think that's kind of an interesting tandem, Smith and Skinner, because you'd have mm-hmm. the whole veteran training Skinner. Skinner's shows um, 
he shows some promises a puck moving goalie. He could certainly learn that, <coughs> excuse me, learn that from Smith. He could probably learn all kinds of things from Mike Smith in terms of preparing for games and and um fitness fitness aspect of hockey. That kind of thing. You don't last till you're 40 in the NHL without knowing a lot about fitness, I have a feeling. So, um but I don't I don't know. It doesn't there doesn't seem to be a lot of prevailing a lot of confidence that that you should do that in Edmonton. That's the right play for Edmonton. It seems more like everyone's thinking, bring in that Georgiev kind of hustle kind of guy who's similar to Skinner in a lot of ways. And then you have two of these guys and you let them battle it out. And, and maybe that is the best play, Bruce. I, I don't have the answer myself. I don't. I, I think Skinner's on the team next year because he's got a low cap hit and he's a promising mm-hmm. goalie. He's every bit as promising as these other two guys we're talking about, if you ask me. So, but what do you do with the other guy? Right. My, I say, I, I, I guess I hope at this point, um, I'd like to, if Smith isn't ready to go, I just hope he retires. Like he doesn't try to push it and, and have an injury riddled season again, because that's, that's bad news for the Oilers. So if, if he really thinks he can do it, then come back and go for it and, um, Smith, Skinner, and then I guess you could try to bring in another guy. I don't know who that would be as a third goalie. Um, but I, yeah. so I, I guess I'm in hold, hold the yeah. hold camp. I don't yeah. have a super strong feeling about it either way. Yeah. Well, right now they got two goalies under contract for next year with NHL experience. I mean, they got guys like, you know, Ryan Fanti, uh, and Olivia Rodrigue, you know, down there in, in minor leagues, but I don't think you can count on them at all. No. Um, and so you're not going to want to go into the season with just two. They're going to clearly have to get a, a third guy. And, uh, you know, whether it's uh, Richard Bachman, I mean, I think you want to set your sights higher than that. Uh, I mean, they've had good third guys in the past, uh, Oilers, but uh, uh, I think maybe the best third guy they had was the guy that they... Uh, let get away on him, uh, Anton Forsberg, who was signed to be the number three man before uh, last season, and yeah. they had to put him on waivers to try and get him to the taxi squad, and they lost him on waivers, and he bounced around the pillar to post, and hey, look at now he's on Ottawa, and he just signed a three-year contract, $2.75 million, after a 9.17 save percentage season with the Senators as their most used goalie. And so there was a you know a really good signing, and we never got a chance to watch the guy because they were trying to to uh, shelter I think it was William Lagesson at the time from waivers, so they took a chance with waving the third goalie, and it burned him bad, hurt him at the time and subsequently. Uh, anyway, um, there are goalies on the market, but uh, the trick is first of all finding the right one, and then. Uh, um, you know, figuring out a way to balance them. The thing about Mike Smith that is so uh, difficult to deal with is the, the ongoing health status. Yeah, Last year, he missed the first month of the season. This year, he played two games, and then he got hurt in the third game. He missed two and a half months. He came back. He played a couple of games. He sat out some more. He came back, played one game, missed another month, came back, took him another month to sort of get his game going, and then all of a sudden, he was great. It was like he flipped a switch. And he turned into, you know, Dominic Hasek for April. I mean, his stats in April were off the charts fantastic. 
And first round of the playoffs, uh, very, very good. And then eventually uh, the clock struck midnight and uh, it was pumpkin time, you know. <laughs> like, I just can't see them. Like, they got those two goalies under contract for a combined cap hit of $2.95 million, which would be an ideal situation if you thought you could get 82 NHL games out of the two of them. I don't see it. I don't see Mike Smith playing 41, and uh, to count on Stuart Skinner, who has yet to prove himself as a backup-level goalie in the NHL, like he was number three in Edmonton, and he got his chance because Smith was on IR. But to even entertain the notion that he might jump directly to number one, I just don't think that's realistic. And Ken Holland said as much in the year-end um, media veil that he said, it's just you know, think that Stuart Skinner could play 55 to 60 games is just not a or even 50, you know, would be, you know, I mean, a perfect world scenario, sure. He's Jake Ottinger the second, right? He steps in and he just seizes the crease and never lets go of it. But uh, uh, I don't think we have near enough proof that that's likely to happen. Yeah, no more pumpkin time. It sounds like <laughs> Ken Holland seemed a little wary of pumpkin time as well, Bruce. Yeah, yeah, it's a hard, It's a hard place to be. It was just, it was, that was tough, right? Like waiting, waiting. And finally it did turn out pretty well, like a, a miracle. Um, that was great. But I mean, you can't go through that again this year. And if Skinner does struggle, which is probably inevitable, um, and then Smith's hurt again, it's just, it's just a nightmare. So they probably are going to go with that then, that bet of two goalies, Skinner and another guy. And, Either Smith retires or they tried to trade him, I guess. Would they try to trade him? I mean, they could. And, and then, you know, if, if and as you say, if, if it's the Rangers and they're, Smith isn't that pricey, mm-hmm. then, then they can they can bring, well, is he, what is what does he get next year? Let me. 2.5 uh, 2. in cash, 2.2 2 cap hit. 2.2. 2. So he's that, not free. He's not free. No, that's a fairly big cap hit for a back. <clears throat> well, that's mm-hmm. getting up there. It's not outrageous, though. Uh, especially because he can carry your team if the other goalie gets hurt for a while. He he could step in and be a very good goalie for a team. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I wonder if Holland would make that clear to him, too. Like, in terms of dismiss decision right now, is like, we, yeah. will, we will be trying to move you. This mm-hmm. summer. We just feel like we've got to find a number one goalie, and and we don't think you can be that guy. So we will be looking to move you. And maybe Smith factors that into his decision, whatever it is. Um, doesn't look like he would retire or retire. Looks like he would go on LTIR to get the money. Yeah. Can't blame someone for doing that. Money Standard fare anymore. Yeah. Guys retire years after their last game if there's, you know, contractual, you know, if they're collecting insurance for being injured. Well, being retired is not the same as being injured. Yeah. Right. And solving the team's cap headaches and LTI headaches uh, is of secondary concern to the player. And, and, you, blame, and should, you blame Oscar Kleffbaum for collecting his his um, uh, salary? I mean, I sure don't. It creates I've all heard kinds some people, of headaches for uh, Ken Holland, but why would you retire if you were him? I wouldn't. Yeah. I've heard some blame Kleffbaum for not playing Hurt. Like some skepticism, like he should be out playing here. Mm-hmm. I have heard that, but I know I don't think anyone's mm-hmm. looking for taking the money because um, yeah. most people realize that's probably what they would do in that the same situation. Well, Bruce, that's um, 
I guess that wraps it up for those guys. Any any other thoughts on those three players in terms of keep hold or fold? Uh, Tyson Berry for Chris Dreger. How's that? So Barry goes to Seattle. Dreger, who uh, was a very promising number two in Florida, uh, went to Seattle and kind of laid an egg. Uh, maybe he's looking for a different opportunity. And, you know, none of these guys are gold-plated, sure to make it. I mean, last summer, the Dreger was one of the prize gets. Linus Ulmark was another prize get. And I'm not sure those guys made a huge impact uh, on the places they went. I mean, you're, you're always hoping hoping for the next uh, uh, Kiprasov, right? <clears throat> Where he came out of San Jose, I think he was the number three man in San Jose at that time, and Calgary got him for his song, and he wound up being their go-to guy for a decade plus. And you know, I mean, ideally, that's that's the kind of trade you try and identify the guy who's locked under a number one, who's uh, dominant on his team, and find a way to get him. But you got to get the right guy, and you got to you know find a deal. And you know, in the perfect world, that's what they do. It's interesting because people are all, you know, I hear there's going to be 10 teams on Billy Husso. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, his career overall, I think, is less interesting, not as strong career numbers as Chris Dreger. Dreger mm-hmm. had this one bad year, 899 save percentage. But before then, you know, between the minors and the NHL mm-hmm. and the ECHL, he had strung together three or four or five pretty good years in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, including a 927 save percentage in 23 games in Florida in 2021. So eight the year before in 12 games. Yeah. So he. he yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't mind that idea, Bruce, of trading, mm-hmm. making that kind of trade. I mean, Dreger mm-hmm. and Skinner. It's kind of two guys between them. Can you get mm-hmm. good goaltending? It's kind of like the same bet they made last year with Smith and Koskinen. Out of those two guys, are you going to get good goaltending? And and they didn't for a large part of the year, but for 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 large segments of the year, including in crunch time in the playoffs and the final stretch stretch run of the season, they did. So between Skinner and Dreger, it's a pretty good price. What does Dreger make? You know what Dreger makes offhand? Point five. Okay, so you know it's not a bad price for two goalies, mm-hmm. and you're going to get one of them who hopefully you're going to get a solid number one play for mm-hmm. a big part of the year. I, I go. I that intrigues me, and I would say yes to such a such a deal. It's at least a, you could talk to Seattle on that yeah. term. You know, I mean, it's it's not just so off the wall that they wouldn't even consider it, because obviously they're in the process of building their team. They're not looking to win the Stanley Cup next year, uh, but they uh, they are looking to you know put an entertaining product on the ice. Uh, well, they might yeah. be willing to trade Grubauer. Well, there's the other guy. Barry, Barry, Barry and Smith for Grubauer. And Grubauer had mm-hmm. one, two, three, four, five, six, six, seven, eight, including eight, nine seasons in a row of really strong hockey between the NHL and the AHL before falling on his face last year in Seattle. Mm-hmm. So now he makes considerably more what he, he must five make. Point nine. Yeah, so he's more expensive. Yeah. But if you're looking to make a bet on a starting goalie now that's mm-hmm. a long-term contract mm-hmm. um it's more money yep. but that would be an interesting trade um barry for grubauer and um barry and smith for grubauer that's my there you go there's my deal 
yeah, have them take on Smith, either his mm-hmm. contract or his LTIR, mm-hmm. and and you're taking on the risk of Grubar. Now you have to. It's, what do you think of Seattle? Like, were they that horrible last year? My my. Well, I think both of their goalies fell flat on their face. Right? Yeah, Grubar and uh, Dreger, both came with a pretty pretty good reputation, and they both fell flat, and the whole team fell flat, Dave, and I don't. Uh, I personally don't think it was just because they had rotten goaltending, but whatever they had, it sure didn't mesh. And uh, uh, Ron Francis' uh, uh, results from the first expansion draft and the first free agent season was a lot less than people expected. I mean, they came eighth, eighth in the uh, Pacific uh, under the same set of entry-level rules into the league that... Uh, Vegas turned into a Stanley Cup Finals appearance. Now, obviously, I, I, unrealistic to expect that from Seattle, but I honestly did not expect a last-place team. Yeah. yeah that's what used smart. to happen when you got expansion teams like Washington Capitals or Kansas City Scouts or Ottawa Senators, you know. But uh, in the modern days, when they, these guys pay their 500 million U.S. or whatever, $650 million for Seattle, uh, they get a pretty good uh, palette of players offered to them, and I just don't think Seattle made the most of it. I was really sore when they stole, when they got Adam Larson, but now I realize, like, no, Larson wanted out of here. It's That's yes. that's obvious. So I, I'm less sore at Seattle. I mean, he was just going to go somewhere else. So... Um, um, that's fine. People have the right in the NHL. They have that right to pick their city. So I, I, I'm kind of over that uh, fit of peak that I have. Well, it opened up cap space, and they used it to sign Cody Cece. That's the yeah. other reason I'm good with it. It's, it's the other. It's the salaries. It's the unproductive salaries that have years to run that are the killers. If you lose yeah. a guy, then you know you have a chance at least to replace him. And I mean, if he's a real bargain contract, you're probably not going to replace him at quite such a bargain. But at least you don't have, you know, sort of two problems. You're not paying the mortgage on the old house and also have one on the new house. And, you know, it's it's not one of those uh, dire financial situations. And when, uh, when the guy is gone and his salary and, you know, there's no retained salary or any of these other uh, entanglements, and, uh, uh, then at least you can, you know, sort of plan ahead with a bit of a clean slate. Uh, just one bit of news that we'll catch up on. It looks like mm-hmm. Vancouver, it looks like they have signed Kuzmenko, the Russian mm-hmm. forward, mm-hmm. Um, who's got a high level of skill and was a good scorer in the KHL level. It looks like Vancouver mm-hmm. signed him, um, but um, and the Oilers missed out on him. I, I think, Bruce, that... Um, you know, he would, as you explained in the last podcast, he would have been a cheap signing for the Oilers. It would have been nice to sign the player. I think the player probably made the right decision for himself, that he'll have much more opportunity in Vancouver to get playing time. It's There's a lot of good wingers on the Edmonton Oilers right now. Oh. And, you know, someone was saying, one of the TSN people was saying, oh, he's a top six winger when he comes in the NHL. Well, good luck really? with that in Edmonton. Yeah. There's there's a lot of competition. I would have been glad again if he had come here, but I'm not surprised that he chose another team. Yeah, well, he was looking for guarantees on things like power play time, and I'm not sure Edmonton. You know, the, they're sort of they're one three one. Well, the three 
on the 131 are all under eight-year contracts. Like, those guys aren't going anywhere. And I don't suppose that Kuzmenko is a net front guy or, a, you know, a point man. Like, you can't really make those guarantees. And maybe in Vancouver they could. Or maybe in Vancouver they're saying, okay, now we've got Kuzmenko, now we can move out Brock Besser because we replaced him for cheap. And we can move on from Brock Besser and use that salary uh, and maybe assets in the trade to uh, uh, to address other needs. So uh, they can say, you can have Brock Besser's spot on the power play because he ain't going to be here anymore. And I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's a real, I mean, I wouldn't say that exactly, but that's a uh, one realistic outcome from the Vancouver signing of Kuzmenko. And if Oilers had signed him, I think it would have spelled curtains for one of Yamamoto or Pugliarvi, to be frank. And since he didn't sign here, there's still at least the possibility that both those guys uh, will return. But that's a keep, hold, or fold for another day, David. Yeah, we'll get on to that. Someone's saying that Gooder should sign Braden Holtby here. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he had a he had a not bad season, I guess, in in um, Dallas. But he wasn't the starting goalie. He wasn't the starting goalie at the end. That was Ottinger. Maybe maybe due to injury, I wasn't following it that closely. All right, Bruce, let's leave it there. Uh, thanks for talking today. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.